We're going to be in Hebrews to start, and then we're going to be reading some other scriptures. So be ready to write down some scriptures. If you know your Bibles well and know where things are, uh, you can turn to them. Uh, you don't have to, but there's because uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna hit on some several different things, and some of these places I'm not even gonna turn there because I've got them wrote down. So uh, where I want you to be ready to turn to is first of all Hebrews, and then when we go to John chapter three, make sure you go there. So be ready to turn at least to those two places. We've been going through the uh, book of Hebrews for a good while now, and we have gotten to the famous faith chapter 11. You want to read just uh, a few verses out of, out of uh, 11, and then we are going to go into some detail on verse 4. Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Notice, the word of God is so important. Why? Because God is the one who spoke it. It's that simple. Do you believe God? Do you believe what He says over what you see with your human eyes? So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now we're gonna ha we have this whole list of all of these characters. We call them Bible characters. And they are real. Sometimes when you say character, you're thinking of a made-up person. But these are real people. And verse 4 says... By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Wow. Now, the emphasis is usually put on how great Abel was and that he did good things, and it was his righteousness and his gift, and that's the wrong way to look at this. You've got to go back to Genesis and realize what actually happened. Now, there are two ways to come to God, or try to anyway. There's two ways that humans try to get to God. One of them is the way of Abel, and, and for most everybody else is the way of Cain. See, narrow is the road or the gate that leads to eternal life, right? Narrow is the way. But broad is the way that leads to destruction. Cain's way is the broad way. Abel's way is the narrow way. Now, I'm going to read out of... Uh, Genesis chapter 4, and you can turn there if you want. Easy to find, it's at the very beginning of your Bible. Genesis 4, 
And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. Remember that the ground had been cursed by God. And Cain is working the cursed ground, but Abel is a keeper of the sheep. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So what's, what's the difference here? Now over in Hebrews it says, by faith Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice. So it was something that they heard either from God himself directly or they have heard from their parents. Now remember their parents had fallen. They, they were tempted by Satan and they fell. And then they, under their own efforts, they tried to hide themselves, were ashamed to stand before God, and if you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit, if you know anything about the Word of God, we know that we are not measuring up as human beings, and we become ashamed and we hide from God. And God shows up and He's asking, where are you? And they tried to hide and fix their own problems, and that won't work. So, God killed probably some lambs and made clothing for Adam and Eve. Blood was shed. Now here, we see that the sons are bringing an offering to God And God has accepted Abel's offering, but he has refused Cain's offering. Cain is very proud of what he is bringing. It's his efforts. He worked the ground. He got all the briars out, the weeds out of the way, and he planted fruits and vegetables, and they grew up, and he tended to them, and he harvested them, And he brought them and made this altar, and he displayed all of it, and it was beautiful. He probably decorated it with flowers, and he had the fine fruits and the vegetables. And he was so proud, and it was so pleasing to the human eye. And Abel, on his altar, he had a little innocent lamb that he had cut and skinned and quartered, and he was going to burn it. And there was blood everywhere. That's not pleasing to the human eye. But it's what God requires. And that was a picture. It was a type and picture of the Lamb of God who had to be killed, beaten and killed and nailed to a cross. And that cross is very ugly. And there's blood all over it. It's not pleasing to the human to look upon it. But if you don't look upon it, there's no hope for you. If you live this life 
of trying to be better and do better, go through some programs and take some classes, and you turn out to be a better human being than you were before, you know what is born of flesh is flesh. And I don't care how much you do to fix your flesh, at the end of the life that you live on this earth, that flesh is still flesh, and flesh is not going to heaven. But what is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that's what will get you to heaven. But how do you get it? There's a very famous hymn called Rock of Ages. And we have it in our hymn book, and we have it in the Cokesbury. And it's a little bit of a condensed version of the original. So I've got the original wrote out here. It says, Rock of Ages cleft for me. No, notice uh, the cleft and how in... Um, the rocks on the side of a cliff, an eagle will go in and build a nest, and that will be a safe place. Nobody can get to the little ones. Cleft for me. <clears throat> in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14, it talks about, O oh, my dove that art in the clefts of the rock. It's a safe place for a dove who is perfectly innocent and harmless, can't defend itself, it hides in the cleft. But then there's uh, Jeremiah 49 that talks about the Edomites and how uh, they lived in a place that you had to go through a canyon, a narrow canyon, very dangerous to get through, and then they built their homes in the cleft of the rocks. And Jeremiah told the Edomites, uh, you think you're clever and you've built your houses in the clefts of the rock where the eagles would build, but God is going to wipe you out because their security is in what they had done for themselves. They had not put themselves in the clefts of the rock, the rock of ages, which is Jesus Christ. The hymn goes on, Let me hide myself in thee, capital T, that's Jesus, the rock of our salvation. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and I'm pretty sure you're only going to see this in John, but it's very important to read the Gospels, all of them, especially the crucifixion and Jesus being raised again to life, and to read it out of all four Gospels, but in John, I know, it talks about how uh, it was getting near the end of the day, and they were kind of in a rush, and they pleaded with Pilate, let's break their legs so that they'll die real quick so we can get the bodies down, because we got the preparation of this uh, Passover, this, this special day. And they went to Jesus, you know, they broke the legs of the two thieves, right? which would cause them to not be able to push up to get a breath, and they would suffocate really quick. But they went over to Jesus to break his legs, but they saw he was dead already. So prophecy was fulfilled. Not a bone will be broken. And then the one soldier decided to go over with the spear, and he plunged the spear. They knew exactly where to go. They were trained. And they plunged the spear in his side, and out came water and blood. Why? 
This song makes reference to it. From thy wounded side which flowed, water and blood which flowed, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. See, the blood of Jesus Christ shed on that cross, it cleansed us of our sins so that we wouldn't have to go through the punishment of death. Jesus did it for us. But then the water represents something as well. And that's being cleansed by the Word of God so that you'll live a pure life. And you are able to do that through the same miracle that saved you from the wrath of sin. You should be able to walk in newness of life. You should be a new creature in Christ when the Holy Spirit falls on you and saves you. But how does that happen? How does that happen? The next, uh, what do you call it, a stanza? The next one says, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. No matter how hard you try to keep the laws in the Bible, you can't do it. You might be better than the next person, but oh no, that person's better than me. But it's not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. The next stanza says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. See, Cain brought all kinds of stuff that he was proud of. Do we ever try to get good enough? Do, do we think that we can do anything at all to come before God Almighty and say, God, I've done this, I've done that, you know, I've actually read some Bible this week, uh, I came to church, I did this, that, and the other, so I should be good enough for you to save me. Absolutely not. Nothing in my hand I bring. But see, Cain is the originator of all false religions of the world. Christianity, the shed blood of Jesus, is the only one it's the narrow way. But there's all kinds of other ways that are presented to the human that looks better to your eyes than the bloody cross of Jesus Christ. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. The last stanza says, While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, when I rise to worlds unknown, and behold thee on thy throne, rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Psalm 62, 5-8 says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. 
He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Ye people, pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Pause and think on that. So how do you get this salvation? How do you get it? You know, George Whitfield, way back in the 1700s, and by the way, this song, this hymn was written in the 1700s. It, 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 maybe 1600s, but I'm pretty sure Augustus, the guy who wrote it, I'm pretty sure he died in 1778, so I think he wrote it before he died. Really good stuff from back then that has survived. So how do we figure out... George, all right, George Whitfield said, all the time preaching... You must be born again. You must be born again. And somebody came around one time and said, Why are you always preaching you must be born again? And he looked at him and said, Because you must be born again. It's that simple. But how, do you, how are you born again? This is where you need to be turning to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. While you're turning to John chapter 3, be thinking about that water and blood that came out of the side of Jesus. Be thinking about that. Be thinking about what the water represents in the Bible. Water could represent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or it could represent the Word, and you have to see it in its context to try to figure out which one it means. Now, Listen to what Ephesians 5 says. All right, I'm going to read this to you. You should be at John chapter 3 now. Don't try to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians 5, starting with verse 25. And, and verse 25 is talking about Christ loving the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. All right, John chapter 3. This is the story of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, you could not have picked a more qualified, better person to think that he was good with God. He was a ruler, which means he was a teacher. He knew all the things of the Hebrews, the nation of Israel. He was a scholar. He could brag on his degree, where he, his pedigree, how much money he had. Everything was great for Nicodemus. But something had really got him stirred up, and not just him, but a few others as well. And this is, listen to what he says. This is John, uh, the Apostle John, who wrote John. He says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came by, by, to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know. Notice he said, we know. 
pay very, very close attention to the words in the Bible. He says, we know. He didn't say, I know. He said, we know that thou art, notice he says thou, just you, Jesus, just you, art a teacher come from, from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Now, did Jesus say, wow, thank you for the compliment. Did he say, okay, cool. Yeah, I see that you, uh, you, you got some understanding. He, he, did, he didn't. He said, look, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Much less enter it, but he can't even see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. That's what Jesus came back with. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we've gone from just being able to see the kingdom of God to being able to enter the kingdom of God. And unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, you can't enter in. So, this is one of the most hotly contested verses in the Bible. And you can sit around with other preachers and teachers of the Bible, and you can have just a good old argument about what this means. Now, what would Nicodemus think by hearing these words from Jesus? Think about where he was and what was going on at the time. What would he be thinking? And he just did say that, uh, are you gonna, uh, should, can a man enter back into his mother and be born again? So there, there's probably two meanings wrapped up in this water. One, salvation is only for human beings. And if you're born of a woman, then you are a human and salvation is for you. There's people out there that argue that this is talking about, you know, ah, oh, the water break, hydraulic pressure pushes the baby out, and that's what this means. Maybe. But I think it has more meaning than just that. First of all, I think the water represents the Word and what God has said, and what God has said is that He has to send His Son down to earth to die on a cross for all of you sinners. So, do you believe what God said? Do you have... Uh, are you like Abel, believing by faith that God, what God says is good and right and trustworthy? Do you believe it? It's, it's about believing. It's not about anything that you can do. It's about believing something and only believing. So it's being washed by the Word of God. That's one thing. You've got to know what to believe. So I think that uh, unless you are born of the water, unless the water has given you what to believe, which is the Word of God, you're being washed by the water, the Word... And, that's two things. Now, here's a third. Nicodemus was part of the Pharisees, and what were they doing at the time? They were watching John the Baptist, calling people to come down to the Jordan and to be baptized for what? Repentance. 
Nicodemus had a, if he was to put together a resume, and anybody who saw it would go, you're a really good person. God would surely be happy with you. Nobody could beat his resume. But Jesus had to show him that regardless of how good you are on this earth, you are millions of miles away from ever getting to heaven. Because, we're getting ready to read it, flesh is flesh. Flesh is flesh. I don't care how good you dress it up, how good you make it, it's still flesh. So John the Baptist, different from the John who wrote this, but John the Baptist, he was telling people to come. Why? He was was put on this earth, he was born, a miraculous birth by the way, to be a forerunner for Jesus. He was to point the way to Jesus, and when he got you pointed to Jesus, then he had to decrease, and Jesus must increase. But as long as there was people out there that didn't know the way to Jesus, he was out there trying to get them to understand that they were sinners, that they were unholy, they needed something, and he was there to turn people to Jesus. So don't ever forget that John had this baptism of repentance. See, if you don't see where you're hopelessly lost, you don't look for a Savior. So you must see in the Word of God that you don't measure up, there's nothing you can ever do to measure up, and that you need to say, I'm lost, there's no hope for me, I'm a sinner, Don't compare yourself with anybody else. Compare yourself to a holy God. And that repentance is what we tell people they got to come to so that they know that Jesus is the only way. So that's three different things that you can get out of that one verse. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's why, being a parallel passage here, parallel verse, that's why some people will say that it's, if, you know, you're born of a woman. You're just a human being. That's all this means, but I don't think it's all it means. But this would give you uh, some evidence that you're right. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit you can't see, but you definitely see the effects of it. A changed life. When the Holy Spirit gets inside of you, you should become a new creature in Christ. You can't help it. Because you're, you're not a prettied-up pig anymore. You know, the famous Charles Spurgeon story. You can, you can take a pig and clean it up, put a bow in its hair, bring it into the church, and everybody goes, oh, look how pretty that pig is. But it's just fixed up and prettied up. That's a person who just is trying to be better, 
and they clean themselves up, they try to stop doing this and that and the other, and they come in and say, I'm a Christian now, because I don't do this and I don't do that, and look at how pretty I look. I'm a pretty Christian now. But yet, you go back out into the world, and those temptations are there, and you fall right back into what you used to do, and it's natural for you, just like the Bible says that the sow has returned back to the mire, because their nature was never changed. And when they, get, they see the mud, the mire, they go to it, and they can get in it, and they can wallow in it, and it feels fine, because they're not different. But Charles Spurgeon said, you know, a miracle of God would be the pig being changed into a cat. And now the cat is a new creature. And when it falls into the mud, it can't stand to be there. And it jumps right back out. So it doesn't mean that you will never fall. You will never mess up as a Christian, as a new creature in Christ. You're not going to be perfect, but you will be different. And what used to be satisfying to you won't be anymore. When you fall into it, you will immediately, because you're a new creature, you'll want to get out of it and clean yourself off with the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit, you can't see it, but you see the effects of it, just like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you see what it does two things. It can be a gentle breeze, or it can be a tornado. When the Holy Spirit moves, when that wind is blowing, you don't see how it comes. The Holy Spirit is inside of you right now, and it's convicting your heart, and that, that is like the wind blowing, and it's not going to stay, it's going to move on. So we need to act on the Spirit. When the Spirit reveals itself, take advantage of it. Grab a hold. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify we have, that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Jesus is sitting there, looking at Nicodemus, and he's pointing to himself, and he's pointing up, and he's pointing down. So even though Jesus was there right in front of him, he was also, because he's part of the triune Godhead, he was also sitting in heaven at the same time. The Father was sitting in heaven, the Holy Spirit was moving, and Jesus was the Son of God sitting right there in front of Nicodemus. Now here's something that Nicodemus would have been very familiar with. And I hope, hope that you guys are familiar with it. If you've read uh, Numbers, the, the book of Numbers, this will be very familiar to you. 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Y'all know that story? Everybody know it really well? All right, since you're not answering, I'm going to have to tell you. The, the people of Israel... They were whining and complaining. They had come up against Moses and Aaron. They, they, were just, they were just really being bad. And God sent in these fiery serpents. These poisonous snakes came into the camp. They slithered under the tents, they, and they started biting everybody. So 
that all the people were being bit by these poisonous snakes. The poison that got into them is a type and picture of the sin that is in each and every one of us. We have all been bit by the poison of Satan, and we have sin in our bodies, and we're going to die and go to hell forever because of it. That's what it, that's what it that was the type of it. Okay? So, the people realized why they were, all this was happening to them, and they went to Moses, their spiritual leader, and they said, Moses, you know, kind of ashamed we were talking bad about you, but now we're in a really bad spot, and we need you to go to God and help fix this problem. And Moses is like, okay. And God said, take a serpent, a brazen serpent, and put it on a pole and lift it way up and then send messengers out, and all you have to do, all you people that have been bit by this serpent, you turn and look at the brass serpent on the pole, and you'll be healed. Just like that. Just turn and look. That's all you got to do. The people who would not turn and look, they died. But the ones who listened to this crazy instruction that didn't make sense one bit to a human mind, if they just believed the word that came from God, they turned and looked and they lived. And Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you do nothing at all, you're already condemned. If you just live this life and you do nothing at all, just live your life, you're already condemned. But Jesus is hanging on the cross, and I've got the word from God right here that tells me that you are dying in your sins and you must look at that bloody cross with Jesus hanging on it. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. Let's pray. We're going to pray and then we're going to have, uh, we're going to change the last hymn. So as I pray, we're going to do our last hymn. It's going to be on page 76 of the Cokesbury, which is this little brown hymnal. And as we sing that song, If you are feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit, if you want to come up here and kneel at the altar, you can. If you want someone to pray with you, you can come up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And Father, I pray that we would be like Abel, not because we have done anything to deserve. You know, Father, I don't think that Abel did anything that he would brag on. All he did was something that didn't make sense to the human mind, but he believed your word. And Father, the righteousness that was placed on him was only because of your righteousness. Father, all Abel did was believe and you placed your righteousness on him. Father, we don't have much faith. We have very little faith. But Father, we trust you because you are faithful. Father, I pray that we would believe your word. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit has convicted our hearts and our, our souls that this word of yours has enlightened our souls. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us would make a real decision to believe what we just read out of your good word and that we too can be born again. In Christ's name we pray, amen.